The final frontier begins. This is about saving the future of humanity. This is a huge victory for the good guys. You've never seen Voyager. Commitment to this course of action is not emotional. Study! Beam us up. Welcome to another episode of Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. I am Brent Allen, and I have seen every episode of Star Trek 47 times. And I'm Matt Sonnenberg, and this is my first time through the series. And this is the show where we are on a mission to introduce as many people as we can. In this case, they are all encapsulated in my friend Matt over there. To the universe of Star Trek by watching the most important episodes that deal with the lore, and in this case, it's the lore, the history and the timeless message of Star Trek. And today, folks, if you want to pretend that you are the Gem Hadar, I don't know exactly what I'm getting into when I tell you you're going to pretend to be the Gem Hadar because I'm just meeting them for the first time. But I know that they like to know a lot about their opponents, their uh, other people in the galaxy. And so if you'd like to know more about us, you can head over to beammeuppod.com. Check out all we have there. Everything from our contact information to our histories and podcasting and everything else you might want to know about us, you can probably find over there. Yeah. If yeah. not, just kidnap us and uh, yeah, see so what There's no need to kidnap us okay, or there's there's no need <laughs> to like send spies after us or anything like that because you're right. It's all pretty much right there. It's just out in the open. So. If it's not there, just you have the contact information is there. You can ask us. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> on an upcoming episode of Answering the Hails... Email us so you guys can get into that show. Today's episode, however, is the 26th episode of Deep Space Nine, season two, entitled The Jim Hadar, or as I like to call it, A Father-Son Camping Trip Gone Awry. In case you don't remember, I didn't watch this one first. In this episode, Cisco takes Jake, Nog, and a very reluctant Quark camping in the Gamma Quadrant so that the boys can do a school project, but they wind up with an encounter with the ruthless soldiers of the Dominion, the Jim Hadar. Matt. Yes. We're going to get into the recap of this episode in just a few moments, but I'm curious. You're really going to make me wait? I'm curious. What are, what are, give me your broad overarching thoughts on this episode of the Jim Hadar. I'm curious if you have the correct response this week. I'm looking forward to talking about the Jim Hadar. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Can we get into it? <laughs> like, I, this is probably might be the most excited I've been to talk about an episode in a long time. That's so, awesome. That's um, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of things that, yeah, I can't really tell you that yet. Yeah. I got to tell you, I, I was preparing some of my notes for this episode, Matt, and never before have I been like, no, I can't say that. No, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to like, I don't even, cause I don't even want to give you an idea of how often we're going to see the Jim Hadar or how much they're going to, how much, you know, is this going to be a one-off episode? What is this going to lead to in future episodes? It's a big mistake. (laughs) I, but there's, 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 you know, I I mean, make a long way. There you go. I I mean, Matt, I've made it no secret. Deep space nine is largely responsible for serialized television that we know today. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, even stranger. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we're, we're finally getting back to the gamma quadrant. We're mentioning the dominion again, which that's coming back around. Um, I meant to go back and look at my notes because I couldn't, I, like, I knew we knew about the dominion, but just briefly, I remember it was the one where it all started. 
And this is really furthering that. And oh, Matt, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm the, the, obviously the next episode we're going to watch. Well, actually, I don't know if it's obvious, but I'll just tell you right away is the season premiere of season three, which is not a sequel to this episode, mm-hmm. but this is, this is where the writers of deep space nine started leaving you in a suspense manner or like in a cliffhanger esque without it actually being a cliffhanger. Like, and they'll, they'll do this going forward. Like they don't just leave it like on a, on a cliffhanger and Hey, come back next season for part two. Like they'll finish I, this I episode. They did, but they leave like, you they, this. They got everybody back where they needed to be, mm-hmm. but they left you wanting more. They were. And I got to tell you, I had a long discussion with uh, Dan Davidson, who is the guy who sat down and reviewed season three of deep space nine with me about whether or not I should include now the, the season premiere of, of season three is, is a two-parter okay. of whether or not I should do the Jim Hadar and that two-parter all is one episode, or if I should have them split. And he agreed with me that we should do them split. And, and that's the right call. And you'll understand why, because it's not a true two-parter, but it definitely leaves you in suspense. It leaves you in some stuff. So let's get into it. But before we do that, um, I do want to slow down and I have, I want to hit a character actor spotlight okay. in this episode. In fact, I'd like to hit two and I'd like to hit the kids. I want to talk about Jake Cisco and Nog. This is a good episode to do that in. Uh, I've mentioned to you before, Matt, that, that Nog is still around and he and Jake have become really, really good friends. Yeah. We haven't seen a lot of it, but just know that that's been happening and and you get a, a big face full of that in today's episode. Absolutely. And I really want to talk to you when we get into the episode. So if I don't mention it there, please help me remember. I want to talk to you about your perceptions and your thoughts on Jake and, and Nog as being friends and being as close of friends. And, and even with the being, and I hate to say this phrase this way, but it's kind of like that, the interracial uh, yeah. nature yeah. of their I mean, that's how they portray it. Exactly. Like, Absolutely. It, was, it wasn't even just like Quark mm-hmm. going af- after it. It, yeah. When it got down to it, and uh, they like everybody they came across, yeah, the Gem Hadar were like Ferengi and a human. Weird. Like, yeah. Obviously, it just wasn't what he wanted to see, but I think he also had that that kind of knowledge that these guys aren't really supposed to get along. Uh-huh. What, what, what's going but on they, here? Exactly, exactly. So we'll we'll get into all of that, but for right now, let's talk about Jake Sisko. We'll start off with him. Jake is played by a guy named Sirak Lofton. Now, Sirak started playing Jake Sisko at the age of fourteen. In fact, he was like fourteen and just a couple of weeks old when they started shooting the pilot of Deep Space Nine. Unfortunately, Matt, there really isn't a ton of stuff out there about Ciroc outside of Star Trek. He did appear in one film prior to Star Trek, which you may have heard about. It's a movie about a very giant St. Bernard dog called Beethoven. (laughs) He was in that movie. Uh, Um, Way back in the day, yeah. Yeah. uh, And then after that, he got into Trek. Like it was, he went from Beethoven to Trek and that's it. Uh, Now, he, he was considered a series regular here on Deep Space Nine, but that being said, he only appeared in 71 out of all 173 episodes produced of Deep Space Nine. But still, that's a lot of episodes. But like it's that's a pretty, pretty healthy career. Sure. And his name is in the credit for all 173. That's even more impressive. Yeah. So he was in 102 episodes. His name was in the credits and he didn't actually appear in the show. Now, that being said, a lot well, a lot of that because he was a kid for so long. Sure. Yeah, there's only so much work he can do, and and they they just didn't write for him. I will say as he gets older, they do kind of write for him a bit more. 
his his character continues to develop as he gets older, as you might imagine. Makes sense. Um, and in fact, I would say, quite frankly, what I what I think is hands down, and I'll be interested to see your take when we get there. But what I to me is it's easily top three, might even be the top episode, the best uh, episode of the entire series is a Jake Cisco centric episode. So anyway, but we'll we'll get back to that in, in, when we get there. Uh, while he was doing that, because he was off the show so much, that did leave him time to guest star on a few other shows throughout the '90s while he was doing Star Trek. And he also okay. lent his voice to the Magic Paintbrush. I don't know if you ever saw that show. It was to, in my mind. It was a PB, vaguely familiar. It, it was but, my, it was a PBS show in my mind, yeah. but I don't know if that's true or not. Um, mm. But yeah, he he lent his voice to to that uh, several times. Now he's done a handful of roles post Trek, but really he stays mostly active in the Trek community at conventions, and he appears in some fan made films that are noted for having Trek alumni appear in them. Now, as you might have guessed, he did form a very good relationship with Avery Brooks, um, whom he said was just like a real father to him, as well as an on-screen father. But he also left the show with another very good friend of his, which is the actor we're going to talk about now. Nog. Nog is played by a guy named Aaron Eisenberg. Now, while Nog is Jake's best friend on the show, their characters were portrayed as roughly the same age. However, in real life, Aaron is nine years older than Ciroc. So okay. when the show starts, you have a nine-year-old hanging out with a 20 or a 14-year-old hanging out with a 23-year-old. Okay. <laughs> Um, but I will tell you that didn't stop him and Ciroc from becoming friends in real life. And as the show ended, obviously Ciroc had grown into a full on man. He was 21 by the time the show ended. So at 21 and 29, 30, that's not that much of an age difference, you yeah. know, between men, but it, you know, the fact that, that they were able to form that relationship, even despite the age difference and that relationship continued well after Trek, um, to something that I'll talk about here in actually just a, just a minute. Um, now you may be wondering though about the size difference because Jake is, is this very tall guy. I did think about that. Dog is not, mm -hmm. uh, which this may have lent to him to, to Aaron actually getting the role because he wasn't a kid yep. and, and he had, and they, he was a little small knew He wasn't going to grow too much taller. <laughs> well, he wasn't because when he was a teenager, Aaron had a kidney transplant, had to undergo a kidney transplant. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it stunted his growth and it stopped him from growing at five foot. So Aaron wow. was only five foot, but it, it, it wasn't because he had a form of dwarfism or, or anything like that. It was, it was something due to this, to this kidney transplant. Um, huh. which, you know, just, just made him, uh, you know, that much smaller. Now, prior to Trek, Aaron started acting in 1989. So just like, like, uh, uh, Ciroc, just a few years before they got their role on Star Trek. Yeah. He started, his first film was in a, a, a film with a person you may have heard of. Her name was Whoopi Goldberg was in a film yes. with her. Uh, he would go on to appear in several more very underrated, very deep cut sequels like Amityville horror four, <laughs> you know, uh, Beethoven eight, you know, he was in, it was those kind of B roll movies, uh, types sure. of things. But he also, uh, he also would make the rounds on various television shows. A few shows like Parker Lewis can't lose tales from the crypt. And my personal favorite of this time, The Secret World of Alex Mack. Okay. Did you ever watch that? I don't know. You're a little bit younger than I am, so you're kind of that's yeah, that bubble. I, I am familiar with the show. I never really got into yeah, it though. It was a good show. It's a really, really good show. It was a, a Nickelodeon uh, show, I yep. believe. Yep. So anyway, uh, he was on that. Now, when he was cast as Nog, he was not planned to be a recurring character. Now, he would later say that every time he was in an episode, he always had an awareness that it might be his last. 
So he always treated it as if it was his last. And he always made the most of it as much as he would, he was allowed to, to do so. Sure. However, he would go on to return to the show over 40 different times in 40 okay. episodes throughout the run of deep space nine. Nog continues to come back It also got him a role on Voyager. He played in a one-off guest role on Voyager. Uh, and what is probably what's what we call the best Kazon episode of Voyager, which Matt, you have no idea what that means right now. Nope. You will understand in relatively short order what okay. I mean. And the fact that he was in the best of the Kazon episodes is saying something. I will let you, you determine that. that one way or the other, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get there. But I did want to go ahead and point that out that he was uh, uh, he played a, a character named Carr in, in the Kazon episode, which was really cool to see him in. Now, post Trek, Aaron was a regular on the convention circuit. He was always around. And at times he appeared with Max Grodenk, I can never say his last name, Grodenchik, who played Rom, who was Nog's father. He also appeared with a lady named Cecily Adams, who played Nog's grandmother, Quark and and Rom's mom, which that's a storyline we are not going to do on this show. I I don't know if I've met a grandmother. Oh, no, not yet. I will. I will give you those episodes and extra viewing and you should watch them. I we will not do it here. We, we can't. It's it's that's one of those little sidebars. Uh, anyway, uh, they called her Moogie. Her name was Mo- like that. That was sure. that was like their pet name for her for mom. Her name was Moogie. Anyway, she she was amazing. Uh, and and also with a lady named Chase Masterson, who actually played a, a Bajoran that would marry into the family. And what they would do is they would perform these like sketches at these conventions called the Ferengi family hour. Like they would continue to do that. Like, you know, nice. Um, Aaron would also come back and he would voice Nog for any of the video games or uh, in anything that people were wanting to do. He also appeared in the fan made films that start a lot of uh, Trek alumni. But recently Aaron started and would co-host a podcast, his own podcast with Ciroc. Right. Like they would do a podcast together uh, and it was called the seventh rule. All right. The seventh rule. Okay. And it's have, have I gotten the seventh rule yet? You uh, I don't. I, yeah, I haven't been keeping track of which numbers we've had. But anyway, I, they're, they're all in my notes somewhere. Yeah, the, so I can, it's it's the seventh rule podcast. And it's the seventh. Oh, oh see, I, now I need to look that up because it, it has to do with the podcast. Um, but anyway, I, it, I, it, I hope they pick the number for a reason if they're going yeah. <laughs> to go that that route. Yeah. Uh, actually, I believe we have had the seventh rule of acquisition. Um, it's a, oh, it says keep your ears open. And we did have that. That was in the hands of the prophets, the the season okay. finale of season one. Keep your ears open. So I get for a podcasting pot, uh, uh, rule. Sure. But anyway, it's that called the, se- the seventh rule podcast where basically Aaron and, and Sirach would like watch old episodes of Deep Space Nine and talk about them and do like okay. commentaries and stuff on them. So it, it was pretty cool. Um, I've listened to the podcast several times. It's it's. I got to tell you, listening to that, you realize uh, one, just how good of friends Ciroc and Aaron had, but Aaron was, su- he was such a, a, a personality. He was lively and engaging and, and uh, boisterous and, and just bigger than life coming out of, you know, uh, the small in stature frame, but he was huge in life, right? Mm-hmm. He was well loved among the Star Trek fandom and among the Star Trek family. And unfortunately, uh, we lost Aaron last year, September of 2019, uh, to heart failure. Um, okay. and, uh, it, it really sort of shook the Star Trek community as a whole in both fandom and, and alumni, and keep in mind, we actually had just lost Renee, who plays Odo. Uh, we just lost him a few months earlier. So we lost sure. both of these two huge, huge characters, huge heavyweights in the in the Star Trek world 
within really a few months ago. Now, I will say this, and, and I, this is very, very heartwarming, and we'll move on to talking about the Jim Hadar. And the latest season of Star Trek Discovery, which is being produced and, and aired as we record this, the producers invented a new ship, and they named the okay. ship the USS Nog, okay? <laughs> and it was an Eisenberg-class starship okay. for Aaron Eisenberg, right? Yeah. So yeah. so it just just a cool nod to, to both Aaron and the character of Nog. Um, it, yeah, it just... You know, it, it it's showing showing respect and props. Uh, now, unfortunately, I haven't seen them do that with Renee, but hopefully they do at some point. The USS Odo, that'd be funny. Um, <laughs> or do something else. But anyway, it, sure. it was sort of their, uh, you know, their, their nod to that. So that is our Jake Sisko and our Nog, Sirach Lofton and Aaron Eisenberg, which we will be talking about both of them and many, many episodes to come. Now, Matt, with that said, you ready to talk about the Jim Hadar? Let's do this. Let's do it. The Jim Hadar prologue. Hey, in case you didn't remember, Ben Sisko is a really good father. He delicately encourages Jake to dream bigger about the science fair project he's been working on for school. And it winds up, it's going to turn into a trip to the Gamma Quadrant to do a planetary survey. And then Sisko's like, hey, let's absolutely do this. We'll make it a father-son trip. It's not all touristic. He really wanted that father-son getaway with just him and Jake. But that kind of gets sidelined when Jake invites Nog along, who is failing in school. Ben doesn't like it, but he agrees. Oh, yeah. And Quark, who is scheming to begin using the station monitors to sell a bunch of stuff. He just happens to need to schmooze the commander to get him to agree. So we can all see what's coming. Right. Right. So my first thought, we haven't seen Jake in a while. Right. At least in the episodes we've been watching. And so, yeah, he's shot up quite a bit since I've last seen him. That's for sure. Puberty has taken full effect. huh? Yes. Yes. Sure. Man, I can't imagine growing up in those years of my life, like on TV, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and like, I don't know if it's worse or better that people wouldn't see you like every week. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, here, three months later, he's growing a foot. Right. What? <laughs> right. Okay. Um, it, you know, I mean, that's true of anybody who is who is especially a teenager especially a teenager who ends the show like as a full on adult, because when you go like every time I, when I watch that first episode of, of deep space nine and I see little teeny tiny Jake Sisko sitting on the edge of a pier fishing on a hollow deck. And I'm mm-hmm. like, he's so tiny. That's little Jake. That's yeah. Jaco. He's so tiny. Like it's so, it's so weird. Yeah. Jaco. It's little Jaco. I think that's the first time I heard that this, that at least that I remember was that Cisco in this episode? Jaco. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Ben, Ben's like, all about it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. Yeah. I'll let you run with it. He's your son, whatever. <laughs> um, hey, so for my, my son's name is Jude. Yep. And totally from, I call him judo. Do you really? I do. I absolutely. Hey, judo, come here. Like that's, that's my name for him. Right. And it totally, totally do what? At least judo is a word. Yeah. Except it's, it's J U D E dash. And I, I haven't decided if it's just an O or if it's an O H. I don't, I don't have decided yet. I get to decide because I made it up, but I totally yeah. got, I totally got it from this. hundred percent. I will got tell it from you this. in, in the subtitles, it is just dash O dash O. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. there you go. That decides it for me. Then it's, it'll just be Jude dash O. There you go. And I actually thought of you during this scene oh, yeah? because yeah, because like this got me to thinking like, I know Cisco isn't actually his teacher, mm-hmm. but I felt that he was kind of taking on some, some aspects of homeschooling. Sure. 
And sure. he's like, no, no, we're, you, you can do better with that project. Hey, mm-hmm. let's work on this together. Hey, let's go on a field trip. Mm-hmm. And like, I've had these discussions with you about sure. you and your homeschooling. Yeah. Was, for, for those of you out there who may not know, uh, I homeschool my kids. Uh, I'm, I'm their main, I mean, their mom and I both do, but I'm the main, uh, catalyst behind that. I'm the main, the main educator there. So yeah. Yeah. It's when he, when he was having that conversation with him, I was like, Oh, get it bit. Like, yeah, go for it. Because, <laughs> uh, I love getting to do stuff like that with him. Like we're saying, I know, cause you, you've to- told me about some of the trips you've taken yeah. and, and just when you're thinking about taking trips and stuff. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there thinking, man, like, man, this gets wild in the future, Brent. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to get to go across the galaxy right. through a wormhole <laughs> just on a field trip with your right. son, man. Because it's awesome. And we can. Yeah. I feel like there was something else I was going to mention about Jake, but I don't mm-hmm. remember what it is right now. All right. If it comes to me, I'll let you know. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah. The rest of this is just kind of setting up for things later in the episode. Sure. Like they mentioned new Bajor again and mm-hmm. they mentioned the Odyssey is coming back from the Cardassian border and this captain Keo and uh-huh. I, I don't think I've met before, but is, has he been around before? Is this like his, his introduction? No, th- this is his introduction as a character. We have seen the actor in another role before this, okay. but in, in not even a Starfleet officer at that time. Um, and this is actually the first time we've ever seen the Odyssey. Um, okay. This is, this is not the first time and I'll go ahead and say this now. This is not the first time we have seen another galaxy class starship. That's not sure. named enterprise. Um, and there's a very good reason why they chose that. And we'll get to that later when we get there. Um, well, they destroy it. Um, that, that's actually exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, but like, this is the first time we meet this captain and the last, this is the first sure. time we see the ship and the last, unless we travel in time somewhere again, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I got to tell you when, when Jake came into uh, Cisco's office and was like, mm-hmm. yeah, great. And hey, I invited Nog along. And I, like, I so felt that pain in that moment where Jake's like, or Cisco's like, but I just wanted it to be us. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, yeah, but please dad. And you're like, of course I'm going to say yes, but dang it. I just wanted it to be us. <laughs> I just remember what I was going to tell oh, you okay, about. Go ahead. Yeah. So we, we were talking about like his height yeah. and him growing up and stuff. And that just made me think of like Harry Potter again. Yeah. As much as I love to talk about Harry Potter. Sure. Everybody take a drink. It's the meet me up drinking they, game. They hired kids that were like nine, 10 and 11 years old. Yeah. And they knew like it was written down, like how these kids were going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm guessing maybe the casting director just did their research and looked at like family history to see like how tall everybody else was because it played out very well. Sure. You know, like Ron was supposed to be the tall, lanky one. Mm-hmm. Harry was supposed to be a little bit shorter. And like it all worked out. I yeah. Mean, it, like Rupert Grant, who played how, how Ron, was tall and lanky. 10 and, years old and, yeah. and filming 10 years later. And it's like it worked. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Didn't even whereas have to put with, lifts in his shoes. I mean, whereas with Jake, like he didn't have a future written for him. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if he was tall or short or whatever. Sure. They'd write for whatever turned out. Mm-hmm. So it, it works out. But Nog, like mm-hmm. you're saying, I, I didn't like how they just kind of put it out there. It's like, if he doesn't get a good grade on this project, he's going to drop out of school. And I felt that was like kind of unfair to put on Cisco. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, wait, 
that that seems a bit impulsive there. Um, yeah. Maybe like Quark or Rom should be talking to Nog about his decision making here, and maybe they should be working on you know getting his grades up or something. Well, but, I, but keep in mind, but, Quark and Nog, or I'm sorry, um, Quark Rom. and Rom don't r- really like Nog being in the human school. Like they just <laughs> rather him stay home working, right? So sure. it's kind of uh, it, you know. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I, I I guess I never thought about it that way, but yeah. it, it just seems maybe a little, a little more odd, even if, if this is all Nog saying, yeah, I want to go to this school mm-hmm. that he would like give up so easily. I mean, I don't know yeah. what kind of past he's had with the school. Like maybe he's been failing, 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 failing. And it's like, this is the last straw. Yeah. But honestly, I think the only thing we've seen is, is that last episode that you saw, I think with Nog where the school got blown up, <laughs> you know, okay. like, I think that's, that's the last like real discussion we've had of Jake or Nog in school outside of just like, Hey, you got to go to school. All right, dad, I'm leaving. Like outside mm-hmm. of that, uh, I, I don't think there's really been a whole lot. So there, I think they're very much establishing here that Nog isn't doing super well, which is not hard to imagine considering, his background and, and different value systems get placed in different places, you know? Yeah. Um, where he had, he, he knows the rules of acquisition pretty well, apparently. Sure. Sure. He does. As far as science projects mm-hmm. on science projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think that it's great for Nog and good on him to have an interest that is his own. Like, cause, cause so fast forward, when you see, sure. When you see Jake and Nog like on the planet, like doing their experiments during the survey, like Nog's taking it seriously. Yeah. You know, like he, he really wants to do this and to study this and, and much to the chagrin of his uncle, uh, who doesn't think that this is worth anything like, like Nog, Nog is finding some value in this, even if he's not good at it, you know, but he's also showing that he's capable of it. It just Mm -hmm. may take a little bit of extra hard, you know, extra harder study on his part than maybe it does for Jake. So um, I, I, I love that. I love that Nog sort of is bunking the expectations, you know, that, that his family would have set upon him, which is a fairly good Star Trek message. I think, I think you can make that argument. Yeah. And then finally, even though I don't always agree with Quark's methods, mm-hmm. I always love to see entrepreneurs portrayed in TV movies, whatever. Sure you do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's hustling. I, man. I, you got to give it to Quark. He's hustling. Absolutely. Yeah. He hustles like none other. Yeah. It's just yeah. he tends to use some shady methods along the way. Well, with that, (laughs) with that act one, Ben is still a little miffed that his father son trip has been usurped. And he's even more miffed when Quark shows up saying that he's going along. But when Cisco protests, Quark pulls out the race card, the alien race card, but still the race card. And Ben eventually gives in flash over to the gamma quadrant and they're on their planet that is supposedly has no large or predatory animals, just plants, fish and bugs. So basically, it's just a big camping trip. Quark is having an allergic reaction to nature as he fails to see the beauty all around him. Instead, he just sees rules of acquisition 102. Nature decays, but latinum lasts forever, which makes Ben more, even more miffed. Later that night at the campfire, some antics ensue. Ben is still a really good dad. Jake is a really good friend. And Nog is becoming a good student. And Quark, well, he's not really the outdoor type. But we get the idea that him playing the race card may not just be a plot to get his way, but perhaps he actually feels that way. When suddenly an alien female runs out of the wood and blasts Cisco with some sort of kinetic energy pulse, 
She asks how many of the Jim Hadar are there. They don't know what she's talking about, but when she tries to run, an entire platoon of other aliens decloak and have them surrounded and say, it's too late. I have a really, really hard time believing for how adventurous and curious Jake and Nog are mm-hmm. that they have never seen the cockpit of a runabout. Mm. Like they make a big point of that. It's like, man, yeah. I've never seen the cockpit. And I'm like, really? You guys have never snuck onto one of these things. Mm-hmm. If anything else, you've seen it. Like you've seen like a picture of one in one of your textbooks or something. Sure. But there, there's no way you've lived on the star, the, the station this long and you've never snuck a peek. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not under that much security. Sure. <laughs> like, sure. And I mean, yeah. let's face it, if you're riding on a runabout, you're probably coming up to the cockpit at some point to talk to whoever's up there because that's where you kind of hang out oh, anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's not like they're going to yeah. kick them out of the cockpit. Right. It's it's wide open. It's not it's not like a 747 where the doors are locked all the time. Right. Now, keep in mind, and I always have to remind myself of this. A runabout is much larger than a shuttlecraft. Like the like think of the difference like you have a shuttlecraft which is like a car. Right. The runabout yeah. is more like an RV people. Huh? It basically fits two people. Yes. The shuttlecraft does. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Whereas the runabout actually is more like an RV. Like you can fit several okay. people in there and there's actually like sleeping quarters in the back. Well, yeah, and, I, I, I was kind much. of confused. Like I, I yeah. guess we've never spent a lot of time, like long distance trips on a runabout yeah. before. Yeah. Cause yeah, they kept like disappearing to the back and like, yeah. and when they, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it when they bring Aris on later, it's like, take her to the sleeping quarters. I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's kind of weird. Like, yeah. There's yeah. a whole yeah. part of the ship back there that we're not seeing. Yeah. And I don't know that we ever actually see back there. Like, I don't think they've ever built that oh, as no, a set. I, I doubt that. I don't think would they, they will. Yeah. I don't, I don't oh, think they will. I have no reason to. Oh, I wish they would I, because it would just complete what a runabout is. It would give me such a better idea in my head. And you know, one thing like, I don't know that we ever see is a shuttlecraft and a runabout side by side mm-hmm. to get like a size comparison. Like it, I, I just don't think that's anything we ever see. So, but what, like, I mean, later, okay, fast forward, they send the runabouts into war, like as part of the fleet. Yeah. So they're big enough to do surprising. that. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, there there's actually a note about that, but they, yeah. they had to add stuff to them in order to make them even capable. Sure. Sure. They like, did. Sure. They did. They're not built for that. Right. So it's, it's an RV with a 50 cal stuck on top of it is pretty much <laughs> yes. what, what those runabouts were. So, so Quark has to work to invite himself onto this trip. Right. Good. That's a good way to put it. But in order to get onto this trip, I've noticed he's done this before too, mm-hmm. but he just throws Rom under the bus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's like, if Rom's not, I mean, even, even if Rom's present sometimes, oh yeah, he'll throw him under the bus. It's like, yeah, no, no, I, I don't think that way, but Rom does. Oh, sure. And I, I, I want to help you out, help the relationship out. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, dude. No. Yeah. Now here, here's the thing, Matt, that I can tell you now that you would have no idea. As the show goes on and you get to know Rom a little bit more, hearing these things come out of Quark's mouth about Rom, like, I don't know if you're getting the idea that it's complete and total BS. Mm-hmm. Like, Rom's not that kind of guy. And if it is Rom, if Rom does feel that way, it's only because Rom's personality is more to sort of kowtow to whatever his brother tells him, uh-huh. rather than than kind of sort of stand up on his own, which is kind of what Nog is doing. Um, but that's the only reason. That'd be the only reason. But it, it, it's not Nog. That's, no. that's not it, his character it, it, at like, all. Like, well, like that's, that's kind of what, how I understood it is mm-hmm. like, that's not really what Rom thinks. Mm-hmm. It's just Quark wants to use him mm-hmm. to, to get onto the ship. And right. like he's, he's manipulating the situation. Sure. And is. that's, that's one way he can do it. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what Quark does. 
He manipulates mm-hmm. the situation. Absolutely. I love that Quark is allergic to nature. <laughs> allergic to He puts the zinc nature. On yeah. His- yeah, yeah. Puts the stuff on and like, man, you're so like mm-hmm. I at the same time though, mm-hmm. I get that. Sure. I hate camping. Uh-huh. And so when he's sitting there complaining about the heat and the bugs and the plants, I'm like, I get you, buddy. I get you. I don't I don't want to sleep on the ground when I have a perfectly good bed at home. <laughs> this is why that, we invented beds so we wouldn't have to sleep on the ground. Exactly. We've evolved. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Let's let's use these things. Yeah. Yeah. Camping is not for me. So what he was saying that like I was laughing along because that's how it's written. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, I understand. I understand. But you invited yourself on this trip. You know, so here's a, I like camping, but I don't think I've ever really camped the right way. And so I've never, I've like, every time I go camping, I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and like, I, I almost refuse to go get like the camper or the RV or whatever to go out and go glamping. Like, uh-huh. like I want to pitch a tent and I want to sleep, but I don't think I'm ever doing it right. Like, cause I don't, I'm like, I didn't grow up going camping or anything like, yeah. Um, so I don't know, but in my head, like, I like it. I, I like being out there, but I, you know, I don't mind being outdoors yeah. like that. That's, that's not the part that gets me. Uh-huh. It's just, I don't want to sleep there. Right. I don't want to sleep on the ground. I don't need a right. rock poking at my back all night. Like, and that's the part that makes me want to get the RV. Uh-huh. Just be like, look, I'm not going camping without one of those again. Cause I'm going to sleep in a normal yep. spot. Although, yep. I, you know, I just don't want to pay the money to get one of those now. So, <laughs> but I'm with you. I, I get it. I get it. I'm kind of curious to know if they will ever again, bring up the fact that Jake knows how to water ski. I was kind of waiting for that to happen in mm-hmm. this episode somewhere. Right. I'm like, that seems like a weird fact to bring up. And I, like, I knew they were just trying to, you know, reminisce about his mom and stuff, but uh-huh. I, it's yeah, like a really that. weird thing to bring up unless they were going to use it again. In so, like maybe not actually water skiing, but the, the skills he learned while water skiing were mm-hmm. going to come into play somehow. I got to tell you, Matt. Yeah. In 47 times of watching the show, 48 now. Uh huh. You have never picked up on a water scheme. I mean, now that you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that's exactly what he said. I've never thought about him water skiing once. Never once. It, so. it just seemed like such a random thing to, to yeah. insert there. Like they yeah. could put anything. I mean, they, they could have just talked about, yeah, when we went camping with your mom. But they they specifically they gave brought that one one little example how to water ski. I'm yeah. like, okay. When would you ever really need to water ski in the future, though? I, I mean, know. I guess if you well, like if you're if you're a space based person, probably not. But exactly. not not the entire galaxy is space based. Yeah, but most people live. Most people still live on planets, and that would be well, an like activity I, that people would I, I, like. I'm I, in my head. I started picturing like, oh, maybe they're gonna come across like this this pool of lava or something and they need to like grab something that's in the middle of it. So they're going to, he's going to rope a shark's mouth and he's going to go skiing across. Yeah. I don't know. Something like that, but it's like, no, he's learned the skills. He can hold onto the rope and keep Mm -hmm. his balance and, and he'll be, he'll be fine. Like we, we established that he he's good at this. Like that, that's what it felt like. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Matt waiting. Um, that's going to be a meme this week when this episode goes out. It's just <laughs> Matt waiting on Jake's ski- water skiing. Where is it coming? Where is it coming? Well, then the mystery woman shows up. Yeah. The kids leave. Mystery woman shows up. Mm-hmm. And she just straight up shoots Cisco because sure, I'll shoot one, but one guy. Mm-hmm. See, it seemed weird to me that she shot one, but not the other. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you, do you have to recharge in between? <laughs> like, yeah. Why didn't you just do both of them? Right. I don't know. But because right. I, I honestly thought like he was going to be knocked out for a while, mm-hmm. but then he just like stood up again and started talking to her. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I actually had to oh, change was, my notes. I'm like, right. Mr. Woman knocks out Cisco. Mm-hmm. Like, nope. Mr. Woman shoots Cisco. <laughs> like, knocks it, him down, but doesn't hurt him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, what, what was the point of that? Yeah. I, I don't get it. I mean, other than ultimately to show that she had that power, mm-hmm. that that was the only thing. So fun fact, yeah. uh, the actress who play, portrays mystery woman slash heiress, whom you've already mentioned in the show, yeah. Molly Hagen is her name. Molly was actually originally considered for the role of Jadzia Dax here on Deep Space Nine. However, she was unavailable to do the show because she was already involved in a show at the time called Herman's Head. Did you ever see Herman's Should Head? Did I know that? If you've never seen Herman's Head, it, it is a it, it was a sitcom based on like I think like Inside Out, where like you have like a group of yeah. people inside somebody's yeah. brain, like controlling everything and they have different personalities. Like I would say that it, the people who wrote Inside Out got that inspiration from watching Herman's Head. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not at all. I've never yeah. heard that name yeah. even. Exactly. I don't know what that is. And I'm just sitting here saying, can you imagine? Can you imagine not being able to sign on as a series regular with a show and a franchise like Star Trek because you're doing a show called Herman's Head? That would kill they me. Really on the had high hope for it. From from a professional standpoint, that would kill me inside. No, like because here's the thing: if you sign on with Star, it doesn't even matter what your character is. You sign on with Star Trek. That's you're now part of the franchise for life. Yep, for life. And, and I think that one of the biggest things with Star Trek at this point, mm-hmm. if she was auditioning for something in Deep Space Nine. It's like, this is the third series. Like they have a track record Mm -hmm. and they got a fourth one getting ready to come out that we all already know about. True. True. Mm -hmm. Would they have known that when she was auditioning for Dax? No, no, they wouldn't have known that. That would have been before this series started. So she she wouldn't know. She wouldn't have known that Mm -hmm. at the audition time, Mm -hmm. but still like, this is the third Mm -hmm. Star Trek series. Yeah. Like it has a track record. People Mm -hmm. still like it Mm -hmm. in the nineties, late eighties, early nineties. Conventions are still happening. Movies are still coming out. They've got a new movie in production. Well, not yet. Well, yeah. They well, yeah, yeah. Star Trek Six would have just come out. So, like the the yeah. only thing I can think, like, do you know? Did she have a like leading role in Herman's I, Head? I didn't see what her role was in Herman's Head, and I remember watching Herman's Head. Um, but I did not. I I did. I don't remember seeing her. I don't remember that show well enough at all. Like at all. I think the show only ran for like one or two seasons. I do know this. Herman's Head. <laughs> you know how like you know how Gargoyles has a lot of Trek. Uh, like crossovers yeah um herman's head has that as well like you you could track a lot of trek guests actors and stuff appearing on herman's head over over the the couple years that it was there well i will say looking it up now yes Mm -hmm. herman's head does have a few names i i recognize actually Mm -hmm. um it ran for 72 episodes over the course of three or four years that'd be three yeah that's like three seasons yeah yeah 91 to 94 so yeah and she is listed as angel and in parentheses sensitivity. So I would say she so was she's one, one of, of his personalities. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you got that going for it. I mean, uh, that's not awful. It's just, it did not turn into what star Trek is. So. No, it did not. No, it did not. But at least she got onto star Trek, um, at least for this role. And, 
There you go. We'll see if this particular character ever comes back again. We will see. We'll see. I, I, I kind of imagine she will at least one more time because, yeah. We'll see. The end left you wondering. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But yes, she has these abilities, mm-hmm. which is one of the strangest displays of kinetic powers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But okay. I, I guess maybe this is probably one of the earliest displays of kinetic powers we've seen. Or tel- I, I think, did she even refer to it as telekinetic? Later they did, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, when I hear telekinetic or even telekinesis in general, mm-hmm. what's the first thing that comes to your mind? moving stuff with uh, Jean Grey. I think of Jean Grey from X-Men. X-Men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's so much telekinesis going on in X-Men. Sure. Like that's a fairly common, I mean, it comes in, in different forms for different people sometimes. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of people would say, well, like Magneto even has telekinesis where his is actually a little bit different because mm-hmm. it's all, you know, it, but it, it looks like it could be the same thing. Sure. Sure. So yeah. But wh- whenever I think telekinesis, I think X-Men and she's an X-Men. That's yeah. She, she absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it makes you wonder like, is there a whole race of people who have these abilities, which, well, we find out apparently there is, mm. which makes it interesting that it's did not they, just like, did they give you the name of her race in this episode? I'm trying to remember. I don't think they did. I don't think so. She, she mentions did. that like the gem came in and they wanted to use that, that telekinetic power. They thought mm-hmm. it would be useful. And when they didn't agree, they took over. Um, but, and who, and, you know, by the end of this episode, finding out how they're related, like who knows how much of that story is actually true. Yeah. Um, and but- just keep, keep in mind here. And I'm, I'm not saying anything about the future of where they're going to go. This is the very first episode where they're introducing these particular aliens and these types of characters. And if you remember when they introduced the Borg from episode one with the Borg to episode two, they sort of like things changed, things settled down. They figured them out a little bit more. Well, okay. I'm just saying history repeats itself, Matt. Speaking right? of the Borg though. Okay. I'll, I'll dive in this a little bit now because sure. we do get our first Jem'Hadar appearance here. Yeah. And throughout this episode, especially as we get into them more, that's kind of the, the feeling that I got. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is Deep Space Nine's Borg. Yeah. It's the big bad guys that you can't beat. It, yep. Exactly. Big bad exactly. guys that ha- actually have more knowledge and more technology than the current iteration of the Federation. Yep. I'm like, all that's right. A, that's a hundred percent right. hundred percent right. Like, that's kind of what got me excited. It's like, okay, this is the big bad guy. Yeah. And I think as much as I like the Borg, I like that the Gemini are more organic. Yeah, I was going to say human, but yeah. that seems weird when we're discussing yeah. different races. Yeah. And they keep referring as to, you know, to the guys in the Federation as humans. Yeah. Um, but you, you, yeah, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. Like they're more interactive. <laughs> like, so, so two notes about these guys real quick, just because you bring it up here, I'll go ahead and, and, and say it here. Sure. Uh, we mentioned earlier about the Odyssey being a galaxy class starship. Yes. The reason the writers made that a galaxy class starship is because this episode was an original was originally considered as a season one finale. Remember when I said way back then they had wanted to sort of book in the first season by bringing the enterprise back, like where they had the enterprise at the pilot, they wanted to book in it, but Michael pillar said no. 
Um, so th- this was sort of, uh, a, this was a little bit of a carryover where they had talked about introducing the big bad guy then, and they, they saved it. it it's, that actually makes this episode among the very first episodes to go into production from season two, even though it's the season finale. Like they worked on it all season long, setting it up yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and getting it situated anyway. But the reason they, they chose to do the Odyssey and why they wanted to make it a galaxy class structure is because they didn't bring the enterprise back. But what they wanted to show you was basically the Enterprise or an Enterprise-like ship exploding. And just to go, this is how badass the Jim Hadar are. Is yeah. Even if it was Picard in the Enterprise, they would not have survived. This, that they, they really wanted that to ramp up. One other note with Captain Keogh uh, and the, the Odyssey there. Um, well, a couple of things. Uh, the, the ship, the model that they used in filming actually was the enterprise <laughs> they just put the new name on st- took the sticker off put a new sticker on it yeah, yeah. um it was the enterprise but i don't know it, if we actually ever saw the name printed on it maybe if you look closely we might we it. might not have because they actually reused several of the shots from tng like where okay. you just see it like flying by like they just reused yeah. some of those shots the other thing is when when they got to the part exploding matt do you remember the extra viewing episode of tng we did called cause and effect where the enterprise kept exploding again and again and again throughout the episode and they were stuck in a time loop and like it would reset every time. Yeah, it was, it was an extra viewing episode we did. Uh, So they designed a special model of the enterprise that would break away (laughs) to be able. So they actually used, that was the model they used, but they also threw in parts from when the, the original enterprise exploded in uh, Star Trek three. And also when one of the ships exploded in wrath of Khan, and like they just went back to their properties drawer and like pulled out a bunch of stuff and like threw it in there to make this ship look like it was exploding even better. Sure. They took a bunch of TOS stuff in here. Uh, but the other thing is just one little note. This is the last time that you're going to see the TOS era com badges or not the TOS era, the, the TNG era com badges. Yeah. And because you, you've noticed the new com badges here in deep space nine, right? Maybe no, for the next, <laughs> wow. Two episodes in, you haven't noticed it yet. Yeah. The com badge is different now. The in-universe explanation is that they change the com badge about every 10 years. So the com badge they're using in next generation is considered the 2360s model. We have now changed into the 2370s model. Okay. And it's just, it's a slow rollout, you know, for sure. everybody, changing, which I don't understand why, because they all have replicators. Like that's just a, Hey, there's a new uniform out. Boop. Everybody go get your new uniform and recycle the old ones. Like, I don't, I don't know why it takes so long to get new uniforms pushed out. If they, I mean, if they don't push it on everybody, then I, I, I can see people being yeah. slow to react to it. Yeah. I mean the, the real I world like answer uniform, it's comfortable, right? The real world answer is, Hey, we've got a new show. Let's design new uniforms for them. Yes. Yes. And we let's design a new com badge for them. Like that's the real world answer. Uh, so anyway, I would, I would say this about the telekine, telekinesis and all that kind of stuff, Matt. Yeah. I wouldn't outside of how it affects this particular show. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Show or episode? Uh, episode. Okay. This particular episode. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Fair enough. So um, no spoiler, no spoilers. Just I wouldn't worry about sure, it too much. Sure. The Gemhadar though. Yeah. Just the fact that they oh, yeah. have like the ability to personally cloak themselves. Yeah, personal cloaking devices. Oh. Like, hello, yeah. that is a game changer. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you would think 
Uh-huh. If you can cloak an entire starship, yeah, you could probably cloak smaller things as well. Somehow you have the technology. I get it. Can you I get it small enough though? That's exactly. Thing, right? It's like you don't have to carry a whole backpack on your back just mm-hmm. to go invisible or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that, that made me wonder too. It's like, okay, is it just their technology is that advanced? Or we just saw someone tell Kinesis, do these, does this race have the ability to go invisible? Yeah. I will, I will say this, and this is, this is super dope. Cool. As you might imagine, Star Trek does a bit of time travel throughout the course of its run. You already sure. seen time travel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to give you any major spoilers to any future series. Okay. This is not something you're going to see on deep space nine. So just get that out of your mind. But I do want to say there, there is a, there is a Star Trek where they jump about a thousand years into the future. Actually, we see them do that a few times, but okay. in one where they jump a thousand years in the future, everybody has personal cloaking devices and they all have personal tricorders and they all have com badges and they all have their own personal like computer database system. And it's all contained in the com badge. Okay. Like that becomes the new, like they have like their own personal heads up display and like they're able to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, I and mean, it's, it, it's all it, contained it, it, in the, in the com badge. What, you know, the iPhone evolves into. Exactly. Except we're just pinning it to your shirt. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, a thousand years in the future, do you yeah. think we're carrying around phones? No, no. but I, I will, I will say this, whether they pin it onto your shirt or whatever they do. I need uh, a couple of years ago, my wife got me as a Christmas present, uh, a com badge yeah. that is a Bluetooth. It Bluetooths over to my phone and I can mm-hmm. actually use it to like take phone calls on and play music and different stuff like that. Right. The problem is, is that's out in the open air for everybody to hear. Right. Yes. So I need in the future for this to actually do like that bone conduction where sure. I'm the only one who hears it. Cause I don't need mm-hmm. everybody else hearing mm-hmm. my conversations with anybody else. That'd be, yeah. the, that's the only change I would make is, is it, it, I'm the only one who can hear what's going on on my comp badge. I mean, nowadays with Bluetooth earphones, mm-hmm. like the AirPods, like it's close. There might be something like it's getting close. We connect all that already. It's getting close. Yeah. It's still, I mean, that's like, then you're sitting already at like three pieces of equipment to just to run this thing. So yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't want something in my ear the whole time, unless I can just don't feel it. Yep. Like I don't need, I don't want something sticking out, but I, I, I remember when you, when you pointed out the TOS thing that they stuck in your head, like, dude, that's an AirPod, yep. right? Yep. Which was brilliant <laughs> by the way, on your, on your part. Hey, let's move on. Act two coming back to camp. Jake and Nog find it deserted. All right. Well, they're going to try to go find the grownups while they do that. We catch up with the adults. Quark is panicking. Ben is trying to keep his head about him. And that weird lady whose name is Eris is in shock or something. They're trapped in a circular security barrier, which will kill them if they try to cross it. Eris says that the Jim Hadar are the most feared soldiers in the dominion. Hey, that name sounds familiar. She tells the story of how her planet was attacked by the Dominion when they refused when they refused entry into the Dominion. These definitely seem like bad, bad, bad people. Cisco comes up with a plan to escape, but first it means getting that collar off of Eris's neck so that she can use those telekinetic powers. So I went back and looked. It was in Rules of Acquisition, and the the reference was just if you want to do business in the Gamma Quadrant, you have to do business with the, with the, with the Dominion. Uh-huh. And that lines up perfectly then with what Quirk says in here. It's like, I've been trying to set up trade negotiations with the Dominion for over a year. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, that tracks. Turns out know? they knew what they yeah. were doing. Yep. <laughs> they planted <laughs> those what, seeds. 
So, I mean, when they mentioned the Dominion, yeah. I will say that I did recognize the name. Good. I knew it had been mentioned before Good. and I remembered it, it being a thing. It's like, this is going to come up again. It, yeah. I, I think it was one of the things we got to the end of the episode. And it's like, why did we, why did we watch this episode? I'm like, well, it might've been this. It might've been this. Mm-hmm. It might've been Dominion. And yeah, it just kind of gave it was, one of there, there were two reasons. That mm-hmm. was, that was your only Nagus centric episode that I'm going to allow you to watch, but you need to know who the Nagus is. Uh-huh. Um, that's not to say Nagus won't be in another episode. It's just, it's not going to be focused on him. Sure. Uh, and yes, the dominion, you yep. ne- you needed the intro to the dominion. Mostly it had to do with, with Ferengi culture and the Nagus mm-hmm. having it, having it happen to mention the dominion was an added bonus. That it was a nice bonus. It, it's probably he, the yeah. thing that tipped it over the scale, this, the scale for me, like, as I, I was weighing yeah, it out in my I, head. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause if it was just for the dominion, we don't need to watch the episode because, because of Quark's line here. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, yeah, exactly. I've been work, trying to work with them for a year. They're you know, business wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, that was yeah. the, the point of discussion between uh, Jim Morehouse, who actually did the season two preview with me um, mm-hmm. about whether or not that. And that was an episode that was very much on the bubble for both of us. Like, but like, like I said, this is the only Ferengi culture Nagus centric episode we're ever going to do on this show, uh, because there's while well, there's a lot of Ferengi episodes that are great, great to watch. They just don't fit in the overall run of what we're doing here at Mean Me Up. So. But yeah, Dominion, they're back. You picked up on it. Congratulations, they are man. back. Yep. Jem Hadar, most feared soldiers in the Dominion. Check. But yes, then her- Did you like their look? Her- oh, no. Can we talk about their look real quick? Yeah. So did they look like anything specific to you? I'm just out of, just out of curiosity. I can't say that they did. The, the yeah. only thing that I wondered, and uh-huh. I didn't go back and, and, and look at it, um, what, but at the very beginning of this episode, when mm-hmm. Quark was talking to the guy in the bar- yeah. Morn. Yeah. Morn. Morn. <gasps> We've not talked about Morn yet. Oh, I'm so glad you brought Morn up. Go ahead. Keep going. We'll talk about Morn inside. Go ahead. So I only got like a quick look at Morn yeah. in, in kind of in the shadows in the bar. And then we go and see these guys. Yeah. And my first thought was it kind of looks similar. Eh, it's the pig nose. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it, it, yeah. it was the first time I had seen both of them. Yeah. And I, like I said, I didn't rewind it and go check out Morn again, but yeah. I, I kind of figured after a while, after learning like who the Gem Hadar are, uh-huh. like, okay, no, never mind. If you, if Morn was a Gem Hadar, like they would know about them and th- right. like that wouldn't make any sense. Right. But yes, right. if you want to talk about yes, Morn. Yes, let's talk about Morn real quick. Just because he's, he's a character who will appear again and again and again throughout all of Star Trek. Morn is the bar fly. I, I was going to say, okay. he, he's always in the bar, isn't he? Um, yeah. And the, the two things about him is one, uh, Morn never speaks. That was never my guess. Speaks. But there is an just, ongoing just how they, joke. How they treated him in this episode that I figured that might be a thing. There, there is a, a running gag through the entirety of the episode of the, of the series about how much Morn talks and he won't let other people get a word in edgewise. He just talks, 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 but more never actually says a word, but we never hear it. Yeah. We never hear it. Right. But they always talk about it. Morn becomes such a character who as the barfly, there's actually an episode later in the series called who mourns for Morn <laughs> when Morn dies. Wow. Right. Uh, and I, that will be a, an extra viewing episode because it's hilarious. It's, it's such a funny episode, uh-huh. but it's called who mourns for Morn. Um, now the reason he, here's the other thing I was to say about Morn because he's just the barfly. That's all he is. He's just the guy who's always, he's the bar, the Barney. The reason he's named Morn 
Matt, are you familiar with the show Cheers? Norm. Yes, it's Norm. They just flip flopped the the two letters. <laughs> that's how they got the name Morn. As they, it's it's more. That's who he is. He's Morn. He's yep. always at the bar. Yeah, and he's just there. And and so that's Morn. Is that it's Norm? They just called him Morn. They flip flopped those two letters, that's and that's nice. who he is. Nice shout out there. So yeah, yeah. And that's everything you need to know about Morn. By the way, fair enough. And I just smile every time you see him because he's it's Morn. Yep, got it. You were talking about the look of the gem Gemharado. Yes. So Michael Westmore, the the head of makeup for from TNG all the way through Enterprise. Um, big, you know, he's the guy who creates the look of all of these aliens. He says the inspiration for the Jim Hadar was basically what would you have? What would you have if you took a rhinoceros and removed its horn? Interesting. And he just sort of went from there. But that was that's 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 what he said. The, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's not a bad interpretation. Mm-hmm. There you go. So fair enough. That's 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 how he did it. So Eris gives us kind of her sob story, right? Mm-hmm. About this Kuril Prime. They were offered entrance into the Dominion. They thought our telekinetic powers would be of use, but they refused. Mm-hmm. So the Dominion sent the Jem'Hadar. They killed the leaders and seized the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Jem'Hadar, brutal. They take what they want. Once again, kind of sounds Borg-like. Sure. Like, they, they, they find what will be useful and they take it one way or another. I mean, the, the Jem'Hadar seem a little bit more reasonable. Like, we'll try to negotiate with you. But if you refuse our offer, our one offer, like, mm-hmm. well, then we're just going to take it because we can. But I find it interesting to note here mm-hmm. because I, I found, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but mm-hmm. towards the end of this episode, I feel it, it kind of gets reversed. But in this scene here, Cisco mentions that he thinks the Jem'Hadar are, are overconfident. Okay. And so he thinks that's kind of their downfall where he can play into that. And it works for the time being, Mm -hmm. but we'll talk about that again later. Okay. Then at the end of this, I just like Nog's little comic relief. I don't think they'll look any friendly or close up. All right. (laughs) It is what it is. Sure. All right. Well, with that, when we move on to act three. Hey, in case you guys didn't remember, Quark is super annoying. He attracts the attention of one of the Jem'Hadar guards. He says he doesn't know why they're being held, but he doesn't care. That's not his concern. And he's not going to release them because the Federation, or I'm sorry, the founders don't want them released. Who are the founders? Well, that's not your concern now, is it? Eris says the founders are a myth, but the Jem'Hadar protests. He says the founders created the Dominion and the Dominion will no longer stand by while the Alpha Quadrant ships violate their territory. And boy, oh boy, does this soldier sure seem to know a lot about the Alpha Quadrant and what makes up the Alpha Quadrant. Cisco notices that too. Meanwhile, Jake and Nog being back up aboard to the runabout to try to get help. A ship launches from the planet, flies right past them and through the wormhole and beams a single Jim Hadar soldier onto into ops at DS9. He tells them that Cisco has been detained indefinitely and that unless they wish to keep offending the Dominion, they'll keep their stinking carcasses on this side of the wormhole. He lays down a pad with a list of vessels that they've destroyed. And oh yeah, that new Bajor colony, they've destroyed them as well. And then he beams out. Big, big... Uh, not not quite action sequence, but a lot happens. Yes. Yeah. Big, big section here mm-hmm. to talk about. And just so much going on. 
Mm-hmm. I have so many notes and you just summed it up very, very well. <laughs> the founders. Yes. Just the way they set this up. It's like, no, no, no. The founders are a myth. And it's like, no, they're not. No, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, this is something that as soon as she's like, no, the founders are a myth. I'm like, wait, I've heard this story before. And I don't mean I've heard about the founders. I don't, I'm not, I haven't heard of this Star Trek plot before. But just that plot line in general, where they've created some being or some group of people that are supposed to be ruling everything, Mm -hmm. however you want to put it, Mm -hmm. and they may or may not exist. Mm -hmm. I can't put my finger on where I've at least most recently seen or heard that, but I know I've heard that used before. And I really wish I could come up with where it's going to bother me. But I always kind of like that concept being used. Sure. Because it makes you you second guess things and it makes you wonder, yeah, is someone actually just telling a tale and spreading it over generations? And now no one actually knows if these people ever existed or still do exist or what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. But the, the myth of it is just enough to keep people in place. Sure. It just popped into my head. I'm not sure if this is actually what I was thinking about, but it, it's almost like the plot of the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I can, you can definitely make those, uh, uh, those comparisons. I think there, I think like many things, there's a spot where the analogy begins to break down. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't not think that's perfect. exactly what I was thinking of, but yeah. it, it's kind of similar in that respect that, sure. yeah. Is it this all powerful wizard or just a guy behind curtain? Who are the founders? This all powerful created thing, or is it just a person or group of people behind the, the, the curtain? Yep. Especially when we get into it at the end where Cisco even accuses her of being a founder. Like mm. that that put a twist on things. Like I hadn't considered that up front, but mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, anyway, the founders created Dominion in theory. Jem Hadar, I, I I I love Cisco, how he he picks up on these little things and like tries to drive a wedge between people mm-hmm. at least between the bad guys like he's not going to do it to people on his own ship necessarily but sure but he picks up on this and and, and almost instantly he's like so the founders created the dominion and the gem hadar are their servants mm-hmm. it's like the gem hadar are supposed to be big bad and it's like no you're you're just their servants aren't there yeah you're these puny little mm-hmm. servants compared to uh the masters the founders over there what mm-hmm. you knew about it huh? Huh? i like cisco I like uh-huh. Cisco a whole lot, Matt. And you've you've only just you've only started it. I can't even say you've scratched the surface. Like <laughs> you've just put the knife to the rock. That's okay. all you've done so far. So and you're you're starting to scrape. That's it. I I, I picked up the knife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but as soon as the Gemhar starts explaining, like they know about the anomaly and yeah. he wants to meet the Klingons. And I'm like, wait, are the Klingons actually that well known or no? Okay. Cause then they get into deeper and he just knows everything mm-hmm. about their side of the wormhole. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, so have you been over there or what's going on? And like, they, they kind of leave it vague, but mm-hmm. I get the idea that they maybe haven't necessarily traveled over there that much, but they just gain their information from people who make it over here. 
more often than not, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the question is how, how do they get their information mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how are they as accurate as, as. And, and he knows like all about the treaty and the Cardassians and yep. like he knows enough about it to think that it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, to, to know that, like you have to know not only what's in the treaty, but then enough about each of the cultures. Right. And keep in mind, this is just a little jail cell guard, right? Sure. This isn't a military commander. This isn't the president. This is an ordinary average soldier, Mm -hmm. right? And he knows all of this stuff. Probably under just got it through gossip and, and, among his his fellow soldiers, right? As far as we know, they're not like the Borg that share a hive mind. They're not. They're so not. It, yeah. It's not like one of them learned it, so now we all know it. Uh-huh. It's it's yeah. It's been disseminated through the ranks. Sure, but he says like we learn more every day, and we plan to learn more from you. And so that mm-hmm. kind of gives me the thought. It's like okay, they get their information from people that entered the squadron because they rule the squadron at least. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, the information that we got earlier when it's like, if you want to do business in the gam quadrant, you got to do business with the dominion. And as far as we know now, the dominion is the gem Hadar. Mm-hmm. Like I'm feeling that there's more of a structure to it than that. Yep. Cause like they, they keep referring to the gem Hadar as the soldiers of right. the dominion. Right. You know, there's, but, this, you know, there's the gem Hadar and there's this mysterious founders, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all you really know so far. And they're all part of the dominion. Yes. Sure. Sure. But do you get, you get the idea that the dominion almost kind of like the Federation encapsulates a lot of different planets and a lot of different races and, you know, maybe it's well, not necessarily as democratic as the, uh, yeah, I think, you know, because they've taken over yeah, a lot. This may be like old world empire. Well, I, I guess yeah. you, you could argue the Federation didn't start with all of these planets either, but started out with one or two and just mm-hmm. they keep adding more and more. Right. But as and, you and, now and, know, it's an application process and you can get admitted. And, and, and that's true. Yeah. Well, well, wait, wait, wait. Which one is an application process? To get into the Federation. Yes. Yes. So people apply to get in the Federation. Right. At least according to Eris's story, people are offered entrance into the, the Dominion. And then if you don't want it, you're going to get it anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, it's like That's a reverse. It's not quite process. as democratic, but, you yes. know, it's it's yes. there, right? We have to jump back to Jake and Nog for a little bit to, to start to wrap up this story, of course. Uh-huh. It, they, they do their thing. They're at, at this point almost more for comic relief than yes. anything else. Yep. Yep. I did find it interesting that I I don't think I knew, and maybe they just wrote it for this episode Mm -hmm. that Jake worked for chief O'Brien. No, no, that was a, that was a storyline that they, it was a, it was a part of his school schooling and project of he, he had a couple of classes. It was more, he just did like, like, uh, uh, like labs for class where with chief O'Brien that that's about all it was. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it was here. And it's like, I could have seen it as they just almost retconned it. It's like, oh yeah, I have experience. Oh yeah, I know how to water ski. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like a C plot of an episode a while ago. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But then we jump back to the Jem'Hadar mm-hmm. flying through the wormhole. They don't respond to anything, of course. I wouldn't expect him to. But then he just beams aboard. And once again, my mind goes right in the middle of ops. Like my my mind goes straight back to the board. Sure. Doing the same thing. It's just like, yeah, we're going to beam board your ship because we can. Yeah. And once again, it it blows my mind how this doesn't happen more often. Mm -hmm. Like not every, everybody abides by the Federation's rules and, and guidelines and, and just says, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll respect your ship and we won't be on board without asking permission. Uh Uh-huh. It, like why don't the the Klingons or the Romulans or whatever like they have the capability to beam things so why aren't they just beaming aboard ships more often like that's what gets me and, and, and like we see the Borg do it and now we see the Jem'Hadar do it and it's always the big bad that just kind of take the initiative to do it but I I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate that they, they've come up with a method, though, for when it does happen, that they can just kind of put a containment field anywhere they want, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic piece of technology, however that works, that it doesn't appear they need to have a device in place, mm-hmm. like wherever they want to contain. It's not like they had to like throw out a ghost trap and trap him there. It's like, okay, he's just call for it. And I want it over there. Thanks. But of course he is the big bad as we've talked about many, many times. And your puny little Federation technology is not going to stop me. And he just walks through the containment field, walks straight out of the thing. Once again, giving me the feeling that, yeah, if I wasn't sure about it already, this is our big bad. They are more powerful. They have better technology. You're not going to stop them. At least not easily. You might deter them temporarily, but you are not going to stop them. But Matt, Matt, but they didn't say for the greater good yet. (laughs) Yet, yet. Uh, We'll get there, I'm sure. Uh, Anyway, I do have one question because you kind of mentioned it. And like they show, yeah, we got this tech from the Bajoran colony. Mm -hmm. Did they destroy New Bajor? Dunsky. Yep. Like... You remember that? They yeah, were, that that Kira they, they was were so just impressed. talking about it at the beginning, and I'm yeah. like, how was this not a bigger yeah. deal? Like, why is no one like making a bigger deal out of this? Mm-hmm. Like, they destroyed New Bajor. Like, I well, the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see the look on Kira's face as soon as they mention that, right? Uh, well, which well, as soon as she like, I don't know. Does, does she know who the the Jem'Hadar are? No, like, did, did, they don't did, know who this person else? is. They, nobody, nobody on in ops knows who this person is. Like, this okay. is just a guy who's just beaming in and they're like, what the, and he just, didn't they erect the force field around him and he I, just walked through it. Yeah. 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 Like, I guess it's it, Cisco didn't know who the Jem'Hadar was. So none of these people are, yeah. unless like Dax would, I could see that maybe like, Ex- except the symbiote's never been to the gamma side of the quadrant prior to being in Jadzia. So do you say so? Is it old thing? I, so. I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I say so. <laughs> yep. I'll take the word for it. But so, yeah, I, I guess if they don't know who the Jem'Hadar are, that, that, that makes sense that she wouldn't necessarily, Cura, uh, I should say, wouldn't necessarily understand that. Okay. Yeah. She recognized it like as Bajoran tech. Mm-hmm. but she wouldn't fully understand if he has this, that's probably really bad for my people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's why when he mentions it, it's like, wait, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Like I was surprised she, she had the reaction she did even because she hasn't been introduced to, yeah, we destroy planets. Right. Right. She's just like, Oh, you, you've been to new Bajor. What were you doing there? <laughs> like I, 
I kind of wonder if, if if that's completely sunk in with any, anybody yet. Like someone needs to try and contact new Bajor. Yeah. The, they'll do that as soon as they get a moment to breathe. They're like right now it's a, we've got a immediate crisis to deal with. We'll, we'll figure out new Bajor in a, in a few minutes. But I mean, that sucks. Like you're just talking about going to new Bajor and then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, we've already destroyed that. Like what? Excuse me. That's, that's yeah, Cisco is supposed to go check out the new irrigation system. Right. <laughs> Well, I guess the planes aren't getting watered that much after all. <laughs> all right, well, let's move on. Act four. Cisco and Quark are still trying to remove that collar thing from Iris's neck. Jake and Nog are making progress on getting the runabout to move. And the Enterprise has arrived at DS9. But wait, that's not Captain Picard, which means that's not the Enterprise. But it is the Odyssey, another galaxy-class starship. O'Brien has retrofitted a couple of the runabouts, as Matt mentioned earlier. They're headed out in about three hours for the rescue mission. And in that three hours, that's just what they're going to do. And along the way, they pick up Jake and Nog on a stranded runabout. The end of that act. Yeah, this is the shortest act, and it is also the filler act. We need to bridge from everybody meeting Jem'Hadar to... We need to put the the final pieces in place. They got to to move the chess pieces around the board real quick. So here we go. Let's do that and move on. There's really not much here. The the only thing I I really want to note here is... Odo coming along to look out for Quark uh-huh. and the conversation he has with Kira. It's like, don't you hate him? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but I'd rather see him in jail than in the hands of the Dominion. That says something not only about Odo, but about mm-hmm. the, the Dominion. Interesting. Which is? The Dominion is really, 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 really bad. <laughs> and I mean, Odo has the conscience. Odo has a conscience. I think that's the better thing to take out of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. Because I mean, that's like the the one that I never really picked on up on quite as much, but you always told me about was when O'Brien never wanted anybody to be in the hands of, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, the Cardassians. Wasn't the Cardassians? It was the Cardassians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. O'Brien had a big thing against the car. He was in the Cardassian war and was a POW there. And yeah. Yeah. And like he knows, he knows how they treated yeah. their prisoners and stuff. Right. And so like that, I, I got that kind of vibe here. It's yeah. like, if it feels like Odo might know more about the dominion than some of the other people around here. That's interesting. You say that. Okay. I will not confirm that though. Nor but, but still, like, I mean, that. why else? Well, he did. I mean, Odo is comparison otherwise. But I mean, Odo is privy to this guy who just beamed into the middle of ops and walked through a security force field and said, sure. "We've just destroyed all these ships. Here's a list of them, and we've destroyed a a a, a thing." You know, I mean. That that would enough be for for Odo to be like, yeah, we're not. I'm not leaving him in the hands of those guys because who knows what those guys are going to do. Yeah, you know that would that would be the only where I'd push back on that. Of does Odo know more about the Dominion or? As you said, maybe Odo really does know more about the Dominion than he's letting on for anyone to know. I, I don't. I, I don't feel I know enough about Odo and his background and where he comes from because it's that whole mystery. He's the only one of his kind, and yeah. and like nobody really. I don't think they've explained to us where he's come from. Yeah, Matt. I will tell you at this point in the show, they don't know. Th- nobody knows. Yeah, the writers might not no, know. I mean. Iris Stephen Bear might know. He might have an idea because he knows where he wants to go with it, uh-huh. you know. But outside of that, maybe not. You know, he might have discussed it with Michael Pillar. So, speaking of Michael Pillar, Matt, real quick, just while I just mentioned his name, mm-hmm. this is the final episode that Michael Pillar serves as a showrunner on Deep Space Nine. Oh, huh. yeah. 
because he's got a new show he's doing that's starting up. So now he'll still be around. He'll still he'll still advise. I think he still gets a show running credit. But yeah, but he's really moved on. Uh, This is this is after this episode, it fully becomes the Iris Stephen bear show for the rest of the run of, of deep space nine. Okay. And it's, it's really under his guidance and he is the one who set up the, the dominion plotline way back in rules of acquisition and has carried it through like this. This is, this is, this is him under his direction. So, uh, act five, let's move on to that. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to back up real quick though. Did you appreciate the comedy as much as I did of, Jake and Nog turning off the autopilot so they could get back to the wormhole and then yeah. trying to get the ship to lay it in. But it's like, we don't have the autopilot dummy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. That uh, was fantastic. Cause yeah, yeah I, I didn't I think it. that all the way through. No, neither did yeah. Neither did that. As soon as he said it, I'm like, Oh, oh wait a so minute. Funny. Yeah. Can't do it. Can't do it. I love it. I love it. All right. Anyway, act five, Quark has finally got that thing off Eris's neck, but it's time to make their escape. Pew, pew, pew. A fifth act action sequence ensues that ends with Cisco, Quark, and Eris getting beamed off the planet and everyone is safely back to the Alpha Quadrant. But boy, oh boy, are those Jim Hadar ships badass. They put a big old hurting on a big galaxy class starship and it all ends with a suicide run at the ship and a loss of all hands. Safely back on DS9, we get the twist of the whole episode. Eris never had her telekinetic abilities suppressed. She was sent here to spy on the Federation. Eris doesn't even come close to denying it. No, she's not a founder, but she says something has begun. And then she beams out to somewhere. Cisco realizes that if the Dominion do come through that wormhole, the first battle is going to be fought right here at the station. And he declares he's going to be ready for them. The end. Or is it the end? The end of the beginning. The beginning of the end. This would be this would be the end of the beginning. Yeah, this would be the end of the beginning. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I was careful with that. Yeah. Yep. I love Quark's line in the beginning of this. Most telepathic suppressors I've seen have been much bulkier. Mm -hmm. And I just stopped at the first part of that. Most telepathic suppressors I've seen. How many telepathic suppressors have you seen, Quark? Quark sees all, man. I mean, up until this episode, didn't even know telekinesis was a thing out here. So how many telepathic suppressors have you seen? Like, Right. Because as far as far as telepathy that we've seen so far, we've seen the Vulcans be able to do the mind melds. We've seen Deanna uh, and her mom be able to talk back and forth. That's pretty much the extent. I mean, I guess there's Q, whatever that is. Um, yeah, I, mean, I guess he has some of those abilities. Yeah, uh, but that's really about it, right? Sure. So, and, and even those, I, 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 like none of those made me think X Men, right? Right. Whereas as soon as I saw this and they, they said te- telekinetic, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, X Men. And I don't know why it jumped there now. Maybe it's because there was more of a visual. I was just so saying, I, that it. move that she did to like have it have it come out of her. Yeah, looked very mutant esque. Yeah, like it looks like a motion comic book. Yeah, sure. Whereas whereas Q just goes. Yeah, he'll just snap his fingers yeah. or point or whatever. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. So I don't know if this is actually a thing mm-hmm. or if it's just for the screen. Mm-hmm. And I know you haven't played D and D, but it feels very D and D esque. Okay, which would once again play into you know these are nerds growing up in the eighties. <laughs> um, but when I refer to them as the trio, the the three that are down on the planet are are trying to escape. So that Eris, Cisco, and and Quark. Yeah, and they get attacked by the Jem'Hadar. Or well, actually, no, they 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 free themselves. 
The one gem Hadar comes around the corner, you know, Cisco takes him out. Then the second gem Hadar comes along. He's cloaked, but like he's get, getting ready to shoot. And as he starts to shoot, like he becomes visible again. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing in D and D you can go invisible, but at the low levels, at least if, as soon as you like attack, you become visible again. And that's what it felt like here. Like in order for him to attack, he needed to, be, to become visible. And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, just stay invisible and, and shoot them unless you can't. Like, I don't know how this ability works yet. I haven't seen it enough yet. So it made me wonder, like, is that actually a thing? Mm-hmm. Or is that just for the sake of we need the good guys to win this fight? We need the good guys to escape. So this is how it's going to work. Because if that's the case, I question, like, why was he invisible in the first place coming around the corner? If he was just going to turn visible anyway, was it just another reminder? It's like, oh, these guys can do that. Well, why are you reminding us they can do it if you're not going to let him use it to his advantage, actually? I thought it was interesting, though, that we got to finally see another starship in action like another starfleet ship in Mm -hmm. action so many times we see i mean we get the enterprise we see them all the time we see whatever our main crew is in a ship Mm -hmm. but then we don't get to see how other captains pilot their ships and how other uh first mates portray that role and we actually got to see that a few times with the with the odyssey so that was kind of fun Mm -hmm. it it felt and maybe it's just because we we don't know the characters or whatever but it felt a lot more strict a lot more regimental than what we're used to seeing on like the enterprise whereas like on the enterprise yes there is a chain of command yes they follow orders but they feel more comfortable with each other maybe yeah i don't know if that's a good way to explain it but then this is where i wanted to talk about the overconfidence that i mentioned before Mm -hmm. cisco stated that he thought the jemadar were being overconfident and like that was kind of be going to be his way to to fight them to get around what they were doing but that's how i felt right in this end sequence here right before like they blew up the ship right you felt overconfident yeah like like like, in the in the we got everybody back on our ships we got everybody off the planet now all we have to do fly back to the wormhole we're all good they're not gonna stop us (laughs) and then boom let's blow up the ship Oh, that happens when somebody rams into you. Yeah, but they basically ignored them. Like, yeah, the the, the runabouts kind of said, "Hey, okay, we're we're gonna try to take out this ship. We we, we saw the ship coming back at us. Yeah. Like, why didn't your giant galaxy class starship mm-hmm. do anything about it?" You know what I thought of in that particular moment? I was like, man, I'm really glad that they disembarked all the non-essential personnel on that ship. Yep. I mean, that, I mean, it's it's a horrible loss of all hands. And you think all those people who just got off the off the ship, mm-hmm. they were all family members of people who were left on the ship. Sure. Right. And so yeah. everybody, it's a lot of loss and it's not okay. I mean, it's a huge it's really loss. Bad. Yeah. It's really yeah. They, I mean, they saved hundreds or thousands of lives. Sure. I just, I mean, that's the thought, that's the thought on, on next generation that I always have every time the enterprise gets into a tussle, Mm -hmm. every time I'm like, you got, you got families and children and civilians on board this ship. That is irresponsible. I love, I love the fact that these become generational ships and you can bring your families and stuff on board, but you, uh, yeah, it, it just, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I always think you're about not, those guys. You're not just risking a do- dozen lives. You're d- right. risking hundreds or thousands of lives. Right. And most of them civilian. Sure. Just, just, you know, uh, that did, did not sign up to right. hang out on a battleship. Right. 
Right. It's, it's unacceptable exploration. That is an unacceptable risk to us. So, yeah. But I love how they explain the suicide run. Mm -hmm. They're showing us how far they're willing to go. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, that's one way to do it for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, they, they probably just sacrificed. I honestly, I started to wonder if there was even anybody on, uh, the, the Jem'Hadar ship that crashed. Mm. Like if I'm them either, there was no one on that ship. We're controlling it from somewhere else, or we set it on autopilot and beam out got the truth right before the, the explosion. Mm-hmm. Like if their technology is that advanced. I mean, we, I mean, we see Eris right at the end, right? Beam out somewhere just by tapping her wrist. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't all the other Jem'Hadar have some similar technology? It's like, all right, three, two, one click and boom. Like they're gone. They're out of there. They're safe. But then, like I said, we get to the big twist. Who is Eris? Is Eris Jem'Hadar? Has Eris just joined the Jem'Hadar? And I mean, I guess she's not Jem'Hadar. Like, is Jem'Hadar a race? Is it a a, a a group of people? Like, can you join the Jem'Hadar? Or, are it, or is it a race? So that, that leaves me, I don't know if she is Jem'Hadar. If it's a race, obviously she's not because she has the telekinetic powers. But so many questions. Did they actually destroy her planet? Did they actually join the Dominion? Are they all working together? And she's just high up in the ranks and and working with them. She's a super undercover black ops spy here. So is she actually a founder or not? I, I think she I mean, she could be. Are the found, she was the one who said the founders are myths. Wouldn't that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, I could see that as a stupid jail guard not realizing what he's saying, giving mm-hmm. them too much information, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's the founders." I'm like, and. And she's like, dude, you're not supposed to talk about the founders, especially when I'm standing right here. Yeah. The founders are just a myth. And like that, that that's going to click in, in his head and say, oh yeah. Um, the founders are a myth. Sure. I, I, I don't know. There are so many questions, so many different ways that could go with this. I was having fun with this episode already. The end of it just opened up so many more options and I really want to see where this goes. Like the fact that Cisco brought it up again and accused her of being a founder makes me think more and more that she is a founder. It's kind of like, hey, don't forget the founders are a thing. Oh, she might actually be one. I I feel in general, maybe this is changing as the show progresses, mm-hmm. but I feel in general when they drop things like that, that it's more likely that it's true rather than a red herring. Mm. I could be wrong. Like I said, maybe they're changing. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't seen enough. I don't know. We'll find out. Hopefully. <laughs> But like you said, there's like another two parts to this episode, basically. This isn't going away. We're going to get to see more. I want to see what other technology they have. Just the fact that they can tap their wrist and beam somewhere. They don't have to like request it or mm-hmm. have someone do something. Maybe they set it up ahead of time. Maybe maybe they can only, maybe it's just a home button and she, she can only beam some one place and she taps the button. She always goes back to home base. I don't know. Maybe it's a little simpler like that. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to think about where I want to go and then tap this button and it's going to take me there. Like it's not apparition, right? Like it, it, it's got, it's got to have more of a location. So I don't know. We'll see. Lots of things going on. Lots of excitement. You got me into this. 
I need to see where it goes. I love it. I love my, every bit of this. This is what I did to Josh all the time. Sure. I left him on cliffhanger chapters. Yeah. I did it over and over. And I, I know you, you, you said at the beginning, like, this isn't a cliffhanger. Like, I get what you're saying. Yes. Everybody's back on the, on the station. Everybody's back where they should be. The bad guys are back where they should be. The good guys are back where they should be. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's not a cliffhanger in the, the typical sense, but they just opened up a can of worms and they can't just leave it there. They're mm-hmm. not just going to leave it there. We're not in that era anymore. So you may have noticed I didn't talk at all during your last like 10 minute diatribe. And I yep. did that on purpose because I want you to sit with all of these questions. Every single one of them, one way or the other, I've got answers. I've got answers for so many of them for you, Matt. I really do. But I'm going to let you discover them. And this is always an interesting episode to revisit when you get to the end and you know fully what's happening and then to come back and see this episode. So I hope when this is all said and done that you come back and you do a full rewatch of Deep Space Nine. And you catch the, or just do a rewatch of the episodes that we did. You could do it that way too. Um, but I, I, I would be interested to revisit this conversation with you later after you have seen the rest of, of the series and know what's happening and uh, to at least have some, some answers to those questions, because it's, it's a fascinating story to look through. And I just can't have that conversation with you right now due to the nature of this particular show. Okay. But you're right. It is not done. We still have another episode or two left to go in this particular story, but we are done for this particular episode of Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. Matt, I've already told you our next episode is titled The Search, parts one and two. What will that be all about? You'll find out. So you said that is a two-parter though? It is a two-parter. Matt, I don't know how excited you are to find out what happens. This is one of those episodes, and by this, I mean both parts. Like, when we press stop on the record button tonight, you might want to go watch it. And then... Next week, before we watch, before we talk about this episode, watch it again. You if might want to watch it a time or two in between as well. Yeah. Do what now? If I watch it a week ahead of time, yes, I'm absolutely going to have to watch it again. Yeah, but I'm just saying you might want to because sure. I can't tell you why, but I really <laughs> wish I could. But next week when we come together, I'm be like, but hey, Matt, I want to say this. Whenever you do watch this episode, when things come out. I want you to text me along the way. I'll do what I can. Uh, at, as you receive answers, please, please, if you just think about it, shoot me a text and let me know. Cause I want to, I want to know what that immediate response is. I'll do my best. Do I need to ask if you liked this episode and if you understand why it's part of our run and if you'd watch it again? I think that would be a pointless question. <laughs> Perfunctory. We'll say yes across the board. Redundant. Right. There you go. There you go. Uh, I've already given you our episodes. There are no, obviously no extra viewings because there are no episodes between this and the next one. Mm-hmm. And with that, Matt, that's, that's going to bring us right up here to the very end of this episode of beam me up a star Trek podcast, Matt. I am. You had the correct response to this episode. I will declare you That's finally good. have the correct response to an episode. Hey, what's your all's response to this episode? Head over to beamyuppod.com for all the ways to contact us and let us know. Matt, why don't you tell the folks where they can get in touch with you out there on the internet? You can find me over on Instagram or Twitter at as a matter of Matt. And if you guys want to get in touch with me, you can find me at Brent Allen live across all the social medias. I'd love to connect with you there as well, too. Until next time, folks. 
Live long and prosper.